We'll continue this morning in Psalm 145 with verses 8 through 21, and it's in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your faithfulness shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every, every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all the flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, we are in week two of our sermon series, Praying the Psalms. Last week, Sterling kicked us off and talked about the power of the Psalms. They are a collection of 150 poems and prayers and songs that can give us words to pray when words seem to fall short. They are examples that we can pull from when inspiration lacks And they are words of comfort that have been passed down for generations in our faith. One may assume that because the Psalms are in the Bible, that they are only Psalms of praise, of adoration, of trust, of faith. But that is actually not the case. The Psalms are a collection of 150 prayers that voice our own common humanity. It speaks about the way life really is in deeply human dimensions. So, of course, there are psalms of praise, which we're looking at this morning, but there are also psalms of lament, of anger, of sadness, and everything in between. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, Praying the Psalms, says that the psalms mirror the human experience for us. We are not always in seasons that feel happy and joyful. But we are also not in always in seasons that feel like we have anguish and sadness. Life is always a cycle of these things. Brueggemann takes this to a deeper level and says that all people go through times of being spiritually oriented, disoriented, and reoriented. As you can see in your bulletin this morning, there's an image there of this cycle he describes. And it's a simple image, but I want you to notice that the arrows continue. There's not a place that you get to when you're done going through these cycles of spiritual orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Part of being human is that we are constantly moving through these times. A gift is that we will never be in one of those seasons forever, but that also feels hard sometimes. So the gift of the Psalms is being able to look and see how humanity 
for thousands of years has prayed and has functioned in times of orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. When I hear the word orientation, I am transferred back to college in my mind. I think back to when I was a senior in high school and I had no clue where I wanted to go to school, what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to do something where I was helping people, so I thought healthcare, but then when I went to UAB, it didn't feel quite right. And then I thought maybe I could do something in communications because I like getting information across to people. So I went to tourist school, I think Southern Miss, and that didn't feel quite right. But then eventually, after applying to seven or eight schools, I went to tour Huntingdon College. And I was determined not to go there because my parents both went there. And it just felt like, on principle, I needed to not do that. Um, But of course, I did. And I knew not one soul. And I think part of what made this decision really hard is that I knew, regardless of where I went, it didn't matter if I was an hour from home or 10 hours from home, my life was going to change, being away from my family in a totally new environment. And so I was nervous, though I wouldn't have admitted this out loud. But one of the first things that happens when you go to college is new student orientation. And I don't know what this is like at other schools, but at Huntingdon, it is quite a production. There are 25 or 30 students who dedicate their entire summer to working orientation. They have teams put together. There are partners who lead these groups throughout the two-day event. Um, They give you tours of the campus. They tell you about the classes, the schedule you have to do, but also the fun events that happen throughout the year. They put on a big skit. There are question and answer times. There are like testimonials. Again, it was a whole big thing. But I have to say that all of this it was clear, was oriented to help you understand what it means to be a student at Huntingdon College. A bonus for me is that orientation is where I met Micah. He was one of the orientation leaders, and he just gave off this extreme confidence and love for Huntingdon. It was clear that he was comfortable in his skin, he was going to be who he was going to be, and that made me feel better about my choice to be there too. Between the question and answers and meeting other students and all the information, I started to feel more secure, more steady, more like I was balanced and I was ready. I started to think, okay, maybe maybe this is all going to work out. And it certainly did. I know there are several people in this room who went to Huntingdon who know what a special school it is. But I feel like probably all of us would say that about good experiences we've had in our lives like that. And maybe you, like me, had such a good experience with orientation that you went on to be a orientation leader to help other students get oriented as they moved into this very new stage of life. When we think about the Psalms of orientation, they are all in that same vein. Orientation, these Psalms are all about times in your life when you feel steady, when you feel balanced, when you feel secure. Arguably, they're the most boring of the Psalms just because they're not super interesting. They just come from the normal time that we all yearn for, but perhaps they don't produce the most beautiful, elaborate prayer life. But Psalm 145 is an example of this oriented psalm. It's the last psalm written by David. He wrote 72 psalms in total. 
And he certainly ran the gamut of the type of prayers and psalms included in the book. But he wrote this one from a time of being secure in who he was and in who God is. Psalm 145 functions as a joyous affirmation of God's goodness and generosity to humanity. Through the psalmist's words, the community sings praise for all of God's mighty acts, for God's abundant goodness, righteousness, mercy, compassion, and faithfulness. His expressions of praise tumble forth. It's like he can't get enough out. He cannot find enough ways to describe how good God has been. The whole world, he says, will know about God and God's eternal kingdom. Adding to the rich imagery and praise apparent that we see in this English translation of Psalm 145 is knowing that in the Hebrew, this is actually an acrostic poem. Now, I want to ask, not to embarrass, but does anyone know what an acrostic is? Like, you feel like you could come up here and tell people? I could not. So raise your hand if you feel like you could, you know. Okay. All right. So we're in good company. And also it's in Hebrew, so we wouldn't see this immediately. But in the Hebrew, the original language of Psalms, this was an acrostic, which means on the left side, the first letter of each line of the poem spells something out, or in this case, is the letters A to Z in Hebrew. So there might be an example if you were trying to write a poem about God's grace. You could start the first line with a G, then an R, then an A, then a C, then an E, and it spells out grace to the side while you're describing God's grace within the poem. So I'm not super into poetry, and it would be really hard for me because these don't rhyme, but acrostics, especially in the Hebrew culture, were a prized piece of art. I mean, think about how difficult this would be to write a poem that starts each line with A through Z in our language. This will be difficult stuff, especially when you get to like the X and the Z. I mean, that'd be tricky. But tools like this, patterns, help us latch on to information. And that's why David probably did this, not only for a creative expression, but also because humanity, historically, is not very good at remembering things on our own. I don't know about you, but I have been known to lose my keys, to forget my password, to not remember why I came into a room sometimes. But tools like this one, acrostics that have a message on the side as well as a message inside, can help deepen the message and help us with recall. So David, in his place of equilibrium, declared a truth about God, not only in the words he used, but by describing God's goodness from A to Z. God is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and that is what he knows from this season of orientation that he is in. But this, this made me wonder. For you personally, this is a rhetorical question, do you find it easier to pray when things are going well or when things are going poorly? The hope and the goal for prayer is that it is a natural extension of our relationship with God, an ongoing conversation, whether things are going great or things are not going well. But I'm sure for everyone in this room, we could admit, if we were being honest, that prayer is extra compelling when things are not going well. When we are scared, when we are in pain, in seasons of disorientation and hurt, when we need something, 
It's easy and almost natural to cry out to God. So these psalms of orientation, one of the three seasons that Walter Brueggemann says we move through in our spiritual journey, they remind us of the necessity of prayer even when we don't need anything, when things are going well in our lives. So how do we pray when everything's fine? From the example in Psalm 145, we see David is praying in ways that glorify and praise God. It is as if he is spilling over with thanksgiving about who God is and how God is moving in the world. Notice a lot of his praise is pretty generic. You know, great are you, Lord, worthy to be praised, you made everything. It's like he is stating facts about his faith. Yet his eyes, his ears, and his heart are attuned to the goodness and presence of God with him, helping him feel steady and secure. Praying from the depths of gratitude can have huge benefits, not only spiritually, but also mentally and physically. I thought this was interesting. I saw an article that came out in 2021. There were two psychologists that got together and wanted to see the effects of gratitude. So they split the participants into three groups, and it was a 10-week study. They had one group write down at the end of the day things that they were grateful for throughout their day. The second group, they had write down things that irritated them throughout their day. The third group just wrote down things that happened without a special emphasis on whether it was positive or negative. And it was very clear that after those 10 weeks that those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and they felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more, had fewer visits to the physician than those who focused on sources of aggravation. Other studies have found that grateful people tend to have deeper and more meaningful relationships than those people who do not practice gratitude. Grateful people tend to be happier and more satisfied with life. And even they found that grateful people exhibit lower levels of stress, they cope better with adversity, and they even sleep better. So as if we needed more reasons to be grateful, to practice gratitude, we have this research telling us that it makes us healthier, happier, and honestly, the best version of ourselves. So when we're in these seasons of orientation, when we feel steady, when we feel secure, when we're not in survival mode, we can be intentional with our gratitude to God and to let that spill over to others. This posture of praise will sustain us and help us remember God's truth when we do enter that next cycle of chaos and disorientation. Because we know from the Psalms, from conversations with friends and family, from watching the news or social media, that not everybody experiences the same stage of the cycle at the same time. It is a spectrum that we're always moving through you probably know from experience that there are times in your life when you are oriented and someone in your family is not. Or perhaps you are going through a crisis and you know that things are not well, you do not feel steady, but it feels like the rest of the world is just moving on like nothing is wrong. So the question becomes, if humanity is always cycling through oriented, disoriented, reoriented, 
How can we pray from our experience of equilibrium and security and not ignore the reality of other people who may not be in that same season of steadiness? Well, on a day like today, I can't help think I can't help but think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. On this day when we've celebrated people who have said yes to stepping into leadership, maybe for the first time, maybe for a second or third or fourth time, leadership in this church, I can't think about, I can't help but think about how important it is to have varied gifts and people involved in the church. If we only had leaders who understood finance, where would our membership care team be? If we only had people who understand engineering and structural issues, where would our administrative team be? It takes all of us joining together with our unique gifts and skill sets to make God's mission possible in the world. But I think we could take this metaphor even a little bit further when we're thinking about prayer. Because as the body of Christ, we are also bound to each other spiritually. With our words and our prayers, we can build up each other when we are feeling strong, when we have an abundance to give, and we can receive that care from other people when we're not feeling as strong. Knowing that the body is made up of many different members and many different stages of this cycle, I want to encourage all of us to be generous with our prayers and our gratitude when we're in that season of orientation. We can remind those who are struggling that the Lord is near to all who call on him. We can remind those who are grieving that the Lord hears their cry. We can remind those who are weary and tired that the Lord's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And we can remind everyone that the Lord is gracious and merciful. In seasons of orientation, may we, like David, pray from the depths of our gratitude and help others find their footing, knowing that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.